0: We're glad you're worshiping with us. Hey, would you do me a favor? Would you put your hands together for everybody that's joining us online? We're so thankful for the folks that are tuning in online. I'm glad that you're with us as well. We are in week three of a teaching series called God Never Said That. You are learning some things that God never said, church? Hopefully you're learning a thing or two. I've got some interesting feedback through this series. It's always interesting, the feedback that I get, and it's amazing how much I've heard. It's like, man, I didn't know that he didn't say that. I always thought that he w- it was in there. But anyway, we're in week three, um, and we are unpacking some popular statements that many people believe to be true that actually, um, well, God never actually said them. And we're, we're trying to unpack these because if you believe these and you, you kind of live in response to this, then, then at, at best, you'll, you'll end up doing something silly, and at worst, you end up doing something that's kind of harmful uh, in, in the way that you act uh, towards others. And so we're doing this. Uh, next week, we're going to be diving into a statement that says, it doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter what I do as long as I'm not hurting anybody. You know, God wants me to be happy. Uh, and so we're gonna dive into that and I hope to see you there next week. But two weeks, listen, every once in a while, i give you advance notice and tell you if there was ever a Sunday that you were going to invite that person that is close to you but far from God. That's the Sunday. I'm telling you right now, I'm giving you a heads up. Two Sundays from today, October the 17th, we're going to be, it's gonna be one of those Sundays because we're gonna be answering, uh, kind of unpacking the statement that it doesn't matter what you believe. All right? And so, so we're gonna be unpacking this. And so, like I said, if there's ever a Sunday that you were gonna invite somebody to church, that would be the Sunday. Today, we're gonna to unpack huh, one of the dumbest things smart Christians say. Uh-huh. One of the dumbest things smart Christians say. And, uh, man, it, it, it's kind of one of those things that when I'm in an environment and I hear a Christian say this, like, I, I have to fight so hard to put my poker face on. Like, there, I've been in some situations where I, I've, I've quite literally had to, like, put my right hand in my pocket to prevent from happening what my dad used to do to me when I would say something dumb. Right? Like, he, he didn't do this, like, you know, to be, you know, brutal or harmful. But when I would say something dumb, he would smack me on the back of the head and go, that's stupid. Don't say that. It is. It's one of those things that's tough to me. And, and when I hear Christians say this, I, I, man, I, the reason why I feel that way is I was like, man, have you ever read the Bible? Ever. Once because this is something that, a dumb thing that smart Christians say. Let me provide this little bit of a caveat. Um, smart Christians usually say this uh, when they're in a situation when someone is telling them about how, how bad something is, right? Like they're, they're, they're telling them about a, a difficult situation they're going through or a hardship that they're going through. You know, you know my, my dog ran away. Uh, the kids just won't stop yapping. Uh, me and my spouse hadn't done spousal things and forever and job is awful and my boss is terrible and the bills keep coming and 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 you know bad thing after bad thing after bad thing and usually what happens is in those moments with all of the best intentions Christians will say and this is the title of the message today well god won't give you more than you can handle actually I, as i was doing some research on this i actually heard another thing That Christians say that it's kind of connected. I'd never heard this before. Every time God closes a door, (laughs) y'all already know, (laughs) He opens the window. Like, I'm a large person, and I can't think of a single situation where I'm like, oh, geez, thanks, God. Thanks for shutting that door that I can adequately fit through, for opening the window that I'm gonna to have to butter and grease myself up to get through. <laughs> God won't give you more than you can handle. That That's the, that's the title of... Today's message, and today. let me tell you, this is where this is taken from. All right, this is taken from a passage in Scripture in First Corinthians chapter ten, uh, where Paul was talking about something. But then, but then we have a tendency. I don't know if you ever have a tendency to do this. This probably isn't you. This is probably some other Christian that you know. Um, that, that does this. And, and by the way, if you're here and you're not a Christian, I'm so glad that you're here. We're, we're kind of joking about some internal things. But if a Christian has ever said this to you, I'm just apologizing on behalf of God right now that they've ever said this to you. Because that's dumb. That's stupid. God can't give you more than you can handle. Anyway, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul writes this. He says, no temptation has overtaken you except which is common to man, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you were able. Now, here's something that's really important. Anytime that you're reading the Bible, say this word after me. Context. Context is so critical, okay? Paul did not say, ain't nothing overtaking you except which is common to human folk. Just put a little Arkansas twang on it just to make sure you're awake. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, no, he's talking about temptation, all right? Temptation is the stuff that leads you to sin. Temptation itself is not sin. It's the stuff that leads you to sin. We're going to talk a lot more about this verse next week. But what he's saying is, is that there's no temptation that's going to overtake you that, that makes it so that you have to sin. Basically what that means is, is that as you're on the road of life, God will always provide an off-ramp from temptation that's leading you to sin, he'll always provide an offer and you just gotta look for it, all right? That's what he's saying there. And again, we'll unpack that some more next week. Here's the problem. A lot of people have taken this verse and taken it out of context and, and just kind of extrapolated it to, to all kinds of stuff that God never intended. And here's the problem with this idea that God will never give you more than you can handle because you know that it's not true. If you have lived any time at all on planet earth or unless you have been completely buried, uh, you know, and been oblivious to what's happening in the world and because you're here today, that's not you. You know, instinctively, it's not true that there are times in life where you have more than you can handle. And if I can take it just from a biblical perspective, just very quickly, if it was true that God would never give you more than you can handle, then he never would have sent Jesus. If it was true that he will never give you more than you can handle, then Jesus would have never promised to send the Holy Spirit to guide, to teach, to counsel, to comfort, and to help. And if it's true that God would never give you more than you can handle, then he would never talk over and over and over and over and over again about the critical nature of planting yourself in biblical community so that you can do all of the one another's. Love one another, bear one another's burdens, forgive one another confess to one another, pray for one another. So if this was true, even even if somehow you've made it to today and you've never faced anything harder than what you can handle, then just from a a cursory overview, you know that this isn't true because God has been saying all along that it's not true. And not only do we know that it's not true because of Jesus and the Holy Spirit and biblical community, but we also know it's not true by just reading any of the Bible. If you've never read this chapter yet, I want to encourage you this week, go in your Bibles and open up to Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews chapter 11, it is often referred to by scholars and Bible people as the Hall of Faith. You're familiar with the Hall of Fame, where like the greatest, the goats are in there, right? Like the best to ever do it. Um, And and they're in the Hall of Fame. They're enshrined in their sport or whatever it is, the Hall of Fame. Hebrews chapter 11 is, is the Hall of Faith, It's it's a who's who of people who were in difficult situations where they were given more than they can handle and they chose to exercise faith in those moments. As you go through Hebrews chapter 11, I would encourage you to go back, read some of the backstory. If you don't know where their backstory is, pull up your phone and just say, Google, where can I read about whoever's name is there and do it. And what you're gonna find is that over and over and over again, God consistently gives people more than they can handle. Take, for instance, Noah. Noah had never seen rain before. Noah was not a carpenter. He was not a woodworker. And God said, hey, Noah, hey, man, it's been the rain. Like gully washer. Like that sideways rain and that from the top rain and that rain that comes from up underneath rain. Forrest Gump kind of rain. And I need you to build a boat. And Noah would have been like, what'd you call me? He didn't have a clue how to do that. Yet, God gave it to him, and God provided, and God helped him. Not only that, think about Abraham. You don't know the story of Abraham. Abraham was old, right? Like, Abraham would make everybody in this church look young. Bless the Lord, amen. Abraham and his wife were almost 100 years old. and never had a child, and God said, hey, y'all going to conceive. And Abraham and Sarah are like, Pfft. Abraham's like, you know how long we've been married? Sarah's like, have you seen him? He's old. God blesses him with a child. Child grows up and God says, hey, Abraham, listen, man, I need you to take your son to the mountaintop and I need you to make him a sacrifice to me. I need you to kill him. I need to see, do you trust in me or do you trust in your son? Now, what you need to know is that God had no intentions of ever having Abraham kill his son. It was a test. Imagine being in that situation. That's more than you can handle. Last one. How about uh, Moses? Moses had a speech impediment. Moses was wanted for murder by the people in Egypt. Moses had successfully, successfully escaped their uh, being captured by them for 40 years by being a shepherd. And God shows up to Moses and says, hey man, I need you to go to the most powerful man in the world and say, hey man, I'm gonna need you to let my people go who've been in slavery for 400 years and, and we're just gonna get deuces out. And Moses goes, I, well, I, 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 porky pig style, I can't do that. God consistently gives people more than they can handle. And over and over and over again, we see this. And the question is, is um Why? We have to understand what God said in, in chapter Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. This is a famous verse, another verse that oftentimes gets spun kind of out of context. But it says, for I know the thoughts that I have towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. See, what happens is a lot of people uh, uh, have heard this verse and go, oh, yes, Lord, you have thoughts of good for me to give me peace and a hope. Life is just going to be sunshine, rainbows, and unicorns. It's going to be easy, smooth sailing from here on out. God, God didn't say that. God says, I know the thoughts that I have for you and I have thoughts of giving you peace in a future, but I need you to understand you're not ready for it yet. I need you to, I need to take you through some things so that you can be prepared for it. I need to help you get stronger. And if we believe this statement that God will not give you more than you can handle, then what happens is, is in those moments where you feel like you have more than you can handle, when things are difficult, things are problematic, things are overwhelmingly frustrating, when all of the the world seems like it's crashing in on you and you believe God won't give me more than I can handle, then it will lead to a pretty deflated feeling about who your God is. But God loves you. God is for you. He wants to help you. I like to think about it this way. Um, a few years ago, I started doing CrossFit, which is something I talk about every once in a while because it's it's become something that's important for me for health and fitness, and you know to keep Jessica interested. Um, and uh, and so when I first started doing CrossFit, uh, I had I had been uh, recovering for about a year from a pretty significant shoulder surgery, and so when I walked into the gym, I'd never done CrossFit before. I didn't have I didn't know squat about any of it. Right? It was like a different language, a bunch of people. All I knew is people talked about it. You ever met anyone who does CrossFit? Does CrossFit? All they ever want to talk about is CrossFit. It's kind of like people who do Iron Man. All they want to talk about is Iron Man. It's kind of like people who do essential oils. All they want to talk about is essential oils. Right? Equal opportunity in the house of the Lord, amen? We're not showing any partiality. Right? All I knew is, is people, just, people who do it no, never stop talking about it. And so I walked in there. And if you don't know how it works, basically it's, it's a group workout uh, uh, scenario where they, they put a workout on the board and everyone walks in, does the same workout, all right? They call that the prescribed workout. All I knew is when I walked in, I was like, I have no cardio, I am weaker than I've ever been, and I don't know what the heck you're talking about. And they're like, it's okay, we'll help you. We'll scale it. Down, we'll modify it so that you can do it. So, like, pretty much for the first year, like, I was the dude in the back corner of the room that was like riding the CrossFit short bus. Everybody else was doing all of the normal things, and I'm back here struggling with the simple things. But after about a year, I got to the point where I could do the scaled stuff fairly well. And my coach would come up to me and he goes, Hey, man, uh, I think it's time to ramp that up a little bit. I'm like, I'm good, I like this, I'm doing well here. I'm doing well. My times and scores and whatnot like kind of look like theirs. And he goes, yeah, but you're not doing what they're doing. I was like, I kind of hoped that you had forgotten about that. He said, listen, man, if you want to get fitter, if you want to get healthy, you want to get stronger, you got to start pressing your physical limits. You got to start doing more than what you think you can handle. So three years later, I'm still not overly fit. I'm still not very strong but I'm fitter and stronger than I used to be. And now when I walk into the gym, pretty much any workout that's on the board, I can I can usually do that. I don't have to modify much now because I've continued to show up, I've continued to push my body beyond what I think it can handle, and I've got people around me that are challenging me and pressing me to lean in to the misery and the suck of it all for the goal of being just a skosh healthier. And so I can put it on social media and tell everybody how awesome I am. (laughs) Listen, can I tell you this? What's true about our physical muscles are true about our spiritual muscles. That God wants you to get stronger. God wants your faith to be stronger. And the reason why God allows us to go through things that are more than what we can handle is not because God hates you or because God's mad at you or because God's absent. It's because God loves you and he wants something good for you you got to get a little bit more faith fit. And so when you get to a moment, when you get to a situation or circumstance where it's more than you can handle, can I just tell you something? You are not a lesser person. You are not a lesser Christian to say, man, I can't, no, I can't. This is more than I can bear. In fact, I I would offer to you that you're actually in really good company. In Mark chapter 14, when Jesus was arrested, the night that he was to be crucified, they found him in the garden of Gethsemane. He had taken some of his disciples there to pray with him. And he had come out and they'd done falling asleep. He's over there praying, sweat, you know, so anxious about what's getting ready to happen. He's he's sweating blood and he comes and he wakes him up. What's the matter with you? Can you not even wait with me for one hour? And then he says this. Now, before I tell you what he's getting ready to say, it's really critical that you understand that Jesus was not just the dude. He was fully God and fully man. He wasn't half God and half man. He was equal measure, full measure of both. He had the full divine glory of heavenly DNA running through his veins, but he was also a man. And he tells his disciples this in Mark chapter 14, verse 34. He said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. You know what he's saying here? He's saying, listen, the God part of me can handle this, but the man part of me can't. It's more than I can bear. That's the reason, by the way, Jesus said, Lord, if this your will, let this cup pass from me. So when you get to a point in a situation where it's more than you can handle, you're not less than because you admit that. Instead, I would say you were in good company. But I wanna tell you that there, I believe that there are, there are two reasons why God does this, why God allows this to happen sometimes. And both of them are actually really good news for you and for me. And the first reason why I believe that God does this is so that we can learn to depend on His presence. I don't know about you and your life, and so I'm certainly not going to read your diary, but I'll read mine and let you know what mine looks like. My tendency is that when things are going really, really good, I tend to get really forgetful about about God. When things are going great, like the money's good, marriage is good, and the kids are good, the church is good, work is good, everything's good. I get to those mountaintop moments, and like, man, this is great, and I just kind of look around, and here's what I do, maybe this isn't you, but what I end up doing is, I end up, I, it's not like it's an intentional decision of saying, man, this is great, God, I don't need you. That's not how it works for me. and I'm willing to bet it's probably not how it works for you either. What happens is, is it's like a drift. It's like a, a subtle little shift that happens where where because everything is so good, I begin to take my eyes off of God and I begin to put my eyes on what's going on around me and I end up becoming just a little bit more self-reliant, which means I spend just a little bit time, less time uh, thinking about spending time with the Lord in devotions and, and personal worship and in prayer and, and, and I'm a little bit less inclined to serve and help people. That's just... Me, maybe that's not you, but when things are bad, oh, you better believe that preacher man is praying. I don't have special access as a pastor, but you can bet, like, Lord, if there was ever anybody, I'm a pastor. God goes, and I don't care. So, what happens in those moments, man, when things get rough, oh man, I I get to praying and I get real desperate real quick. there's a season in my life where things were good. When there's seasons in my life where things are good, my needs are small. But man, when things are bad, my needs are great. But here's what I'm learning. I'm learning that it doesn't matter whether things are good or bad. My needs are always Great. There's never a time where I don't need God's presence. But my situation and my circumstance will oftentimes motivate me to become either more or less reliant on God. And the more reliant I am on God, the the less reliant I am on myself. And and it's the other way around. The more reliant I am on myself, the less reliant I am on God. And so I believe that what happens is is that there are times where God allows things to happen. God will, will allow things to pass through his hands first to fall into your hands so that you can understand how much you need to depend on his presence. There's a story in the Old Testament about a man named Jonah. Perhaps you're familiar with this story because, because Jonah found himself in a really bad situation because of his own decisions. And can I just tell you something? There are times when I when I become less reliant on God, I make some really dumb decisions. When I'm in seasons when I'm less dependent upon God, I say some really stupid things. And the times in my life where I realized I found myself in the most trouble were the times where I began to be more relying upon me and less relying on him. You see, that's kind of what happened to Jonah. God had told Jonah, who was a prophet, to go to Nineveh. Jonah hated the Ninevites. Jonah said, no, I ain't going to do it. And God said, yes, you are. And Jonah said, no, I'm not. You got to find me first. And so Jonah jumps on a boat headed the opposite direction. Jonah gets in the boat and a storm comes and Jonah begins to realize that the sailors on the boat are freaking out. What's going on with the storm? We got to save ourselves. Jonah realizes the storm is happening because of my decisions. Y'all need to throw me up out the boat. Now why Jonah didn't just jump out of the boat, I don't know. He was passive to the end. I ain't going to do it. I ain't jumping out of this boat. Y'all going to have to throw me. They throw Jonah out of the boat and a big fish comes and swallows him. And Jonah is in the belly of the fish and he cries out to God. And he says this in Jonah chapter two, verse two, he says, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried and you heard my voice. Listen to me. If you're here today and you feel like you're in the belly of Sheol, Sheol was a word that the Jews would use to kind of reference a hell like place. If you feel like you're in the the pit of hell right now, all the things are crashing in on you, can I just tell you whether it is by your own decisions or by stuff that has happened to you, I want you to understand that what God did for Jonah, he can do for you. You see, when we believe that God won't give us more than we can handle, then what happens is is then we begin to also believe that the presence of a storm must mean the absence of my savior. But what Jonah found out was that it was exactly the opposite. Matter of fact, he says this in chapter two, verse seven, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord and my prayer went up to you and into your holy temple. You see, it doesn't matter how deep the valley goes. It doesn't matter how dark the surroundings are. It doesn't matter how much you feel like everything is crashing and caving in around you. It doesn't matter what's going on in all the areas of your life. There is no valley too low. There is no dark that's too dark that the Spirit of God cannot hear your prayers and come to you. The psalmist said it this way in Psalm 145. He said, the Lord is near to all who call upon him. By the way, if you're not a Jesus person, if you're not sure what you think about God or church, can I just tell you the beauty of this verse is that it doesn't say that God is near, the Lord is near to some who call on him. It is all who call on him. So you're in a storm. and you don't think that you can make it, God, why would you do this to me? Can I tell you that I've experienced this over and over and over in my life? That in some of the deepest, darkest, most treacherous storms in my life, God showed up and met me there when I called out to him. When I was about this close to losing my job, As a pastor, because I wasn't doing a very good job, I was in a pit of despair. When I wasn't sure whether or not my son was going to live through complications with RSV, man, you want to talk about the pit of despair, you want to talk about being desperate. Sir, we're going to have to admit your son into the NICU. Hold on. What do you mean the NICU? The NICU is where babies go that aren't going to live. Is my son going to live, sir? We don't know. You want to talk about an outer body experience? Watch your six-week-old child being strapped to a gurney and loaded into an ambulance. Listen. Can I tell you? I'm just. We like one of our values here is keep it real. I'm gonna keep it real with you today. The last year and a half, I love my wife more than anything in the world. The last year and a half has been the hardest year and a half in our marriage. We've had more arguments and fights in the last year and a half than the previous 13 and a half combined. Baby, you're welcome. It's been, you know, I guess. And when we have reached moments of impasse, we don't know what we're gonna do. God, how do we get past this? We cried out to God. God showed up. Sometimes God showed up when I'm like, I ain't doing it. I ain't going to, I am not going to apologize first. God goes, huh. Let me know how that works for you. Listen, here's what I'm trying to tell you today. I'm trying, this is real stuff. This is real life. Life isn't sunshine and rainbows and God never promised that he wasn't going to give you some hard things to go through. He just said, yeah, when, I, when it happens, lean into me because you're prone to wonder from me. You're prone to become self-reliant, Jernigan. You're prone to think that you can, you can be a, a good husband to your wife on your own, a good father to your children all alone. You believe that because you can, you you don't put people to sleep when you preach, that you can be the pastor that that church needs. And I'm here to tell you, 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 you no. You need to depend on me and depend on my presence. Because apart from me, Jesus said in John 5, John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing, big boy. Here's a second reason why I believe that God allows us at times to experience more than what we can handle, so that we can experience his power. And so that we can experience his power. We first experience and, and we become dependent upon his presence, but then but then we begin to learn to experience his power. And when you peel back the layers of this statement that God won't give you more than you can handle, what you'll find is, is, is a dangerous and insidious lie that says, if I believe that God won't give me more than I can handle and I'm in a situation where I have to handle this, then God must expect me to just man up and get through it to suck it up, pull myself up by my bootstraps, rub some dirt in the wound, and let's press on. Let's soldier on. I can do it. I can get through it. I can accomplish it. God's, God, you've seen fit for whatever reason to put this on me. I must be able to handle it. But I want to let you hear in on a little secret today. You, you can't handle it. Because beneath, as we keep digging into this, beneath the lie that you can handle it is, is the, the, the belief that, that if you can't handle it, then you don't need God. But can I tell you something? God has wired you and designed you, and he's designed all of us to need him. And sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we think that I can do it by my own power, and God goes, no, you can't. I you look at what Paul said. First Corinthians chapter, chapter 12, verse seven, Paul writes this. He says that there was a thorn in my flesh that was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. What's going on here? Well, well, God had, um, Paul had this thing that was like a thorn in his flesh and we don't exactly know what it is, but it was a significant ailment of some sort. It was something that was debilitating. It was kind of one of those things, if you've, if you've ever had a splinter, And, and you think that you got it, and then you go on about your life, and then, and then you, you hit it on something like, dang it, I thought I got that out, but it's not out. It's, it's kind of like that. It was that thing that was just kind of always present. And what it says is, is, is that Paul says, listen, it was, it was given to me. It was a gift. Now that's funny. Why would something that is debilitating, why would something that would be painful, why would something that would be a constant um, nuisance, a constant reminder of hurt or pain or misery, why? Paul, would you call that a gift? He said, it was given to me as a messenger of Satan to buffet me, meaning it was something that it was given to me by God and Satan would come in and he would constantly remind me that, that, that I can't, I shouldn't, I won't, I'm not able, I'm not capable to do whatever it is that God has called me to do because of this thing. And it was a gift so that he wouldn't become too arrogant, too prideful, lest he be exalted above measure. And notice what it says concerning this thing, verse eight, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart. Now, here's the deal. I think oftentimes when we read this, if you've read this verse before, you might think, oh, okay, well, Paul woke up, you know, in the sunrise, this morning devotion, you know, opened up to John chapter three and read that. It's probably his favorite verse, most famous verse in the Bible. And, and then he prayed, you know, Dearest Lord, heavenly Father in thine heavenly realm, wouldest thou please remove thine thorn from thine flesh. Glorious day, amen. No, that's not what's happening here. What, what I believe that Paul is talking about is it's not that he just woke up three days in a row and prayed about it. I think he's referring to seasons. Long, extended duration of seasons where he, 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 he begged And he prayed and he pleaded with God, God, would you please take this from me? And he asked God to remove it. And and if we can just be honest, if you know about Paul and you know about his story, I mean, he's like the greatest Christian that ever lived. So if there was ever gonna be a person that was pleading and begging for God to remove something, that God will go, sweet, sure, on it. Woo, done and over with. Go and be blessed, Paul. Life is going to be great from now on. Like if there was ever a person who was to experience God moving in that way in his life, wouldn't it be Paul? I mean, Paul like, went all over the, the known world planting churches and, 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 he, and he, was, he, he was a tent maker so that he could provide food and he, he, he was shipwrecked and, and he was beaten multiple times. He was arrested. He, he, he hung out in the water, just kind of adrift in the ocean until he finally washed up onto an island. He gets to the island, he tries to start a fire and then a snake bites him. Like, bro, if there was ever a dude who has gone through enough, God, would you please show up and help this brother out? Wouldn't it be Paul? And I'm just convinced that maybe there's somebody that's here today that's been begging and pleading for God to do something, but he hasn't yet. You know that he can. You know that he could restore your marriage and things be great and awesome and amazing. You know, he could bring back that wayward child that you've been begging and pleading and praying for for weeks and weeks and weeks. He could make it so that you could finally conceive and bear a child. He could make it so to bring a mate into your life so that you can be married and be happy. He can make it so that your financial situations would, would be resolved and that your career would be on an upward trajectory and that your relationship with, with that extended family could all be be awesome. He could do it. You know that he can, but sometimes he doesn't. Three times, I prayed, I pleaded, I begged, Lord, would you please remove this from me? And I want you to notice what God's response to Paul is. It says, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in weakness. What? God won't give me more than I can handle? That's not true. And this verse tells us why it's not true. Because God doesn't want us to be self-reliant upon our own strength, upon our own ability. God doesn't want us living or believing that we can just go through every stage, every season, every phase of life and just, just grit our teeth and bear it and get through it. God knows that whatever it is that you're working through in this season, that if you don't learn some things in this season, then you won't make it through the next one. You've been praying and praying and praying for God to take away the anxiety. You fasted and prayed for reconciliation and hope for restoration in a relationship. God is telling you today if you were strong then you never experience what I'm capable of or to say it in a different way if you were strong then you would never need my power or to say it in a different way that you are best positioned to experience God's strength when you reach the end of yours I said, pastor, you don't know. <laughs> you don't know how hard this is. I probably don't. But I do know what the word of the Lord says. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. Can I tell you that there have been times over the last year and a half where I simply just did not have what it takes with all of the things that are going on in our world, As a husband, I'm trying to figure out how to, how to, you know, lead my family spiritually through the midst of all of this when, when there's, there's voices and opinions and anger and, 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 and judgment and, 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 and disapproving, um, glares at, at, at you when you go out in public because you are or aren't wearing a mask or because you are or aren't putting your kids in school or because you are or aren't doing this, where, where we as parents, where I as a parent have been in a situation that to make decisions about the health and well-being of my children that I do not have the medical training to be qualified for. And I can't figure out when it's on the internet, it's all gotta be true, but what happens when they all say the opposite thing? As a husband, I've tried to navigate all of the conflict that the last year and a half has has brought into our home and into our family, into our marriage, and, and trying to figure out how to love and care for my wife, how to love and serve my wife, how to not be a total um, airhead and, and, and a total dingus about the what I say and how I respond and how I react because the things of this world and, and the things that are happening are affecting her in a way that's different than a way that it's affecting me. And can I just tell you that there's been times over the last year and a half where I haven't had what it takes to to be the pastor of this church and to be your pastor. Where I know that there are battles that we have been fighting that y'all don't even know about. Where there's been decisions that we've had to make that it, it's not like people go, well, you know, that's good for you. You just do what you want. But no, 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 no. Every decision, regardless of what the decision is, somebody isn't just gonna be like irritated. They're gonna be mad about it. And they're gonna tell you about it. And they're gonna tell everybody else about it. times where I've come up to, to preach God's word on this stage. And I love preaching and proclaiming God's word, but there's times where I'm dealing with this stuff in my life. And I know from some of you, as I've talked to you and I'm praying for you about the things that you're going through in your life. And I'm like, God, how am I qualified to be the one that tests that, that proclaims this message? How am I, how am I supposed to be able to proclaim and preach your word in such a way? God, I can't do that. And can I tell you something? Here's what I've learned that time and time again, when I finally reach the point of saying, God, I can't do that, God goes, I know. So won't you let me do it? I heard a metaphor recently about this, and I think it's such a beautiful picture for what happens for most of us. That, that the way that we respond when things are more than we can handle, it's like, we're, it's like we're in a boat and we're in the ocean and, and we've got a decision to make about how we're going to handle it. You can either row or you can sail. And here's what happens for people who are not mature in Christ, meaning, and I don't mean that negatively, but people who have not dove into God's word and unpack God's word to understand the nature, the will, and the character of God and to understand the, the the spiritual disciplines that He wants us to live with and and orienting our life around the life of sacrifice and surrender that God calls us to live with. For people who have not done that, for people who who in a moment of 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 being overwhelmed by, by frustration or anger or, or 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 jealousy or whatever the case may be, that you act in a way that is spiritually mature. What happens is is when you get into those moments where it's more than you can handle then what you do is you pick up your rows and you start rowing because you believe God won't give you more than you can handle. And so God, I'm gonna do it and I'm gonna row and I'm gonna row with all of my mind. I'm gonna give everything that I have. God, my marriage is busted and broken and so I'm just gonna, I'm gonna clean the dishes more and I'm gonna serve more and I'm gonna be more complimentary and I'm gonna do these things. I have a child that has walked away from me and walked away from God. God, I'm gonna try to text them the right amount. I'm gonna try to talk to them. I'm gonna try to serve them. I'm gonna try to tell them about you and I'm just, I'm rowing and I'm pulling and I'm rowing and I'm pulling. God, my finances are so busted. I've made some bad decisions and, and some other stuff that's happened. And so I'm just gonna I'm gonna get there and I'm gonna row and I'm gonna pull and I'm gonna do everything that I can in my mind because God, you said you wouldn't give me more than I can handle. So I can't handle this. And so I'm rowing and I'm pulling and I'm worn out and I'm exhausted, and my hands are raw from all of the work that God never intended you to do. And you're pulling and you're rowing, and you're giving everything that you have, and you're getting nowhere. Can I tell you what what God wants us to do when we act in spiritual maturity? (laughs) What I've had to learn to do in my life, it's one of the most uncomfortable, backwards things. I put the rows down, put the oars down, and I hoist the sail and I trust the spirit of God to lead me through. Listen to me. Some of you are rowing through your hardship because you believe that your hope is the boat. What I have learned is to hoist my sail because my hope is not in the boat. My hope is in the captain. And when I'm rowing, I'm the captain. But when I hoist the sails, I say, Spirit of God, lead me. And there's times in your life where you have to go through the storms so that you can become dependent upon God's presence and so that you can experience God's power so that when you get on the other side of the storm, you can realize that you're okay. And you can look out into the distant future and say, come what may, do your worst. Because I've learned that my hope is not in my ability to be able to row my way out of the storm. I realized that my hope is found in the one who is my captain, my God, my savior, the great I am, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the one who created the universe, the one who created the wind and the waves, the one who speaks to storms and storms stop. His name is Jesus. And that is is where I place my hope. Does that mean you just throw up the sails and go, Jesus, it's all you, I'm gonna take a nap. No. It just means that you come in a spirit of brokenness and humility and honesty and say, God, you know what I'm capable of. And I'm not capable of this. So I'm going to need you to show up into my mess, into my storm. You see, what happens when you begin to live this way and you begin to trust God and you begin to get through some stuff, then you can come to God in prayer and say, God, I know that you are faithful because you got me through that storm of finding a job God, I know that you are faithful. You got me through that storm of finding a spouse. God, I know that you are faithful. That even though my loved one who was diagnosed with that terrible thing died, I've seen the good things that you've done in the lives of others. You see, God loves you, God wants you to grow. When you begin to grow and you begin to live like this and you begin to trust God like this, then you can say what Paul did. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast, not in my ability, not in my strength, but in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest on me. Therefore, I take pleasure in the storms, in the infirmities, and sicknesses and ailments, and the reproaches when people people criticize me and are negative. People don't like me. I take pleasure when I when I don't have enough. I'm not talking about I don't have all the things that I want, but when I don't have what I need, I take pleasure in my needs. When I'm persecuted for following Jesus, and all of the things that cause me stress and panic and anxiety, I take pleasure in those. For Christ's sake, why? Say it with me. For when I am. Then I am by the authority of God's word. It's a lie to think that God won't give you more than you can handle because what's buried underneath it is the arrogance of believing that you are strong enough. when you're weak, then you are strong. Here's the truth I want you to walk away with today. That God will often give you more than you can handle so that your faith can be made stronger. So that your faith can be made stronger to a point that no hardship, no ailment, no affliction, no persecution, no difficult thing, no tragedy, no terrible news, no bad thing can cause you to waver because you know who your God is. I don't know where you are today. I don't know if you're in a storm, if you've come out of a storm. I don't know if you've got a storm that's brewing. but I know who the God is that can see you through it. At Discover Church, we exist to see our city changed by Jesus one life at a time. If you'd like to take your next step of faith today, text the word faith to 816-203-1835. Again, that's the word faith to 816-203-1835. If this is your first time listening, we'd love to connect. Reach out to us on social media and let us know that you've found us through the Discover Church podcast. Thanks for listening.